Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program, and we are here on Saturdays at noon every every Saturday to defend and to promote public education. When we talk about public education, as we tell you every week, it has to be public in outcome and in purpose. But above all, it must be public in access, and that's what we want to talk about today, the accessible bit, the integration bit. The for all children bit, the common wheel bit about public education. If you're going to have a public system which is accessible to all children, it cannot be private. The very essence of private education is the selection of children, whatever the basis you select on. And such schools can never integrate children. So press release 611, which is on our website at www.adogs.info, is this. The obvious solution to the problem of integration is to put all children together in a well-resourced public education system. Our politicians are trying to divide, rule and avoid real issues by instilling fear of radicalisation and terrorism by extreme religious groups. Concern is expressed at the unprecedented segregation of children from Islamic backgrounds in separate schools. On August the 4th, Catherine Powley reported in the Murdoch Press the following, and I quote, The number of students attending Victorian Islamic schools has more than doubled in eight years, with almost 8,000 kids now attending the religious schools. In 2007, there were 3,900 students enrolled in five Islamic schools. This year, there are 7,910 students in seven schools. That represents a 103% increase, contributing to a 16% overall increase in independent school enrolments. A Herald Sun analysis of the Department of Education and Training data shows that during the same eight years, Victoria's entire school student population grew by 9%. In the United Kingdom, the concern is even more vocal and, and extreme, if you like. David Cameron, in a speech at a school in Birmingham, where you have whole schools, state schools that have been taken over, Uh, by particular religious groups, not just Islamic groups, I might add. He warned against, quote, the pernicious isolation that comes with segregation in schools. I'll read that again, because this is from a man who, in the United Kingdom, is hell-bent on segregating children uh, and giving, giving state money, taxpayers' money, to do so. David Cameron the Conservative Prime Minister of England, went to Birmingham where there are race relations problems and said, "Uh, we must do something about the pernicious isolation that comes with segregation in schools. It cannot be right, the Prime Minister said, that people can grow up and go to school and hardly ever come into meaningful contact with people from other backgrounds and faiths. 
The context of the speech was tackling extremism and his fear that segregated schooling would make it harder to stop the radicalisation of a separatist Islamic ideology. He warned of the risks of young people growing up in an inward-looking and disconnected environment. And uh, Sean Coglin from the BBC, who was uh, responsible for this report, posed the question, can you males integrate anyway? Dogs ask, why should the Islamic schools be distinguished from any other private publicly funded schools in this integration debate. Uh, They have been picked on by the Murdoch Press and they have been picked on by uh, Mr Cameron, David Cameron. But Roman Catholic schools have been segregating children since the year dot, for that matter, and certainly in Australia. Anglican schools have been segregating children. Presbyterian schools have been segregating children, not necessarily on the basis of religion, we might add, Um, but there are other ways of segregating children if parents have got to pay fees. The point is that all of these schools, all of these private schools, segregate children. And yes, you can integrate children. We have done a pretty good job here in Australia. Our wonderful public systems have done an excellent job for well over 150 years, but they are being undermined. So dogs say yes. To integrate, you can do it, and we can do it as we did it for over 100 years if you do three things. It only takes three things. You have to be strong about it. You have to provide well-resourced public schools. You have to stop any state aid to private schools. And thirdly, you can't outlaw private schools. That actually is, you know, what you shouldn't do in a free society, a democratic society. If people want to pay for something, they can pay for something. That's their freedom. That's their choice. So you don't outlaw private schools, but you prevent the establishment of any private school within two kilometres of any public school. That's what they did. They did those three things back in the 19th century. And if we have any sense at all, we will do it again. Uh, You cannot ever integrate entirely when, in fact, wealthy parents... Uh, don't want their children infected by children from uh, uh, lesser uh, people who don't have such a big bank account, but it all depends, of course, on what are lesser people. I always like the old phrenologists of the 19th century, the bumps on the heads people, who noticed that wealthy people often had bumps where criminals had them. But anyway, that's... uh, Uh, They were the first psychologists, but um, even years ago when they used to have IQ tests, at least the IQ tests gave a chance to children from poor backgrounds who were obviously highly intelligent, as so many of them are. But um, we'll have a short uh, time, short break now for a message from 3CR. The 4th National Elder Abuse Conference will be held in Melbourne on the 24th and 25th of February 2016. With our ageing population and greater focus on family violence, this conference is a timely and crucial part of the effort to stop elder abuse. Focusing on ageism, rights and innovation, the conference will benefit those working with older people. Early bird registrations close on the 11th of November. For more information, check out elderabuseconference.org.au or contact Seniors Rights Victoria on 1300 368 821. That's 1300 368 821. Seniors Rights Victoria is a 3CR supporter. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's Robert here. You're listening to The Dogs Program, the defence of government schools here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And podcast. Everything Jean's been talking about, and interesting as it is, because this is a fight we're in, because we are the defenders of government schools. Government schools are under attack, and that's why we're here. 
Um, if you're interested in what we're talking about, you can actually get hold of us and check us out. If you don't like what we're saying, you can check us out to try and pull us down. Or if you do like what we're saying and you want to get a bit more information because you're interested in the well-being, I hate that word, but you're interested in the well-being of the children of Australia, you can contact us at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Now, Jean's been talking about issues of um, issues of integration. Now, integration, by the way, is not the opposite of multiculturalism. Integration is the opposite of segregation. This is not necessarily a multicultural issue. Australia is a multicultural country, and people from many cultures come here and live here and are born here and make their lives here. But separating out their children on the basis of their income or indeed their religion is a very short-term policy, which I think, as Jean was saying, David Cameron's put his finger on. David Cameron, of course, is referring to people of the Islamic faith, but here at the Dogs, we don't really care. We don't really care. Um, People can be of any faith or none. Our basic issue is that if you want to educate the children of the nation, then taking a faith-based approach and subsidising it with the government is not the most efficient way to go, and it inevitably leads to segregation, or as is happening in the United States at the moment, um, a form of apartheid based upon race. We don't have quite the same issues here in Australia, but it's certainly a very worrying trend. We'll be returning to this particular issue of integration versus multiculturalism and um, the idea of separating out children specifically on the basis of religion. We'll be returning to this, but I think we should actually investigate and follow up on some you know, in journalism, that's a funny word, but on some investigations that we've been doing into the private school sector and the rationale that they use to defend their position. Now, Jean quite rightly pointed out um, that the issues of segregating children are getting more and more relevant and of a concern um, to certainly people who are supporters of state schools. But over the last few weeks, Michelle Green um, and Stephen Elder, who represent both the independent and Catholic school interests here in Victoria, have written, Michelle Green in particular wrote a very interesting article outlining her new rhetoric, uh, the support the support rhetoric that she uses to describe why it is that private schools are good and public schools, by almost by definition, are bad. Um, part of that rhetoric is, and she ends up by saying that people get worried about this whole debate, she says, meaninglessly, because it's not a zero-sum game. The idea being that just because kids in private schools get a better education doesn't necessarily mean that kids in public schools get a worse one. And she says this is a false dichotomy. Um, however... Yes, it is actually because children in public schools get a far superior education to any child in a, sta- in a private school because they learn to live together. Indeed, indeed. And that certainly would be an ethical and moral concern for many parents who deliberately send their children to state schools. But, Jean, I'm talking about the numbers, I'm talking about the figures, and I'm talking about educational outcomes, which is, in fact, important. Um, Later in the program, we'll be talking about a particular incident that happened in the United Kingdom, a very interesting one about an individual teacher and an individual student. But there's been some um, reports come out that relate to the NAPLAN data in 2015. And what they indicate is that ploughing larger and larger amounts of money into the private school sector to improve the educational outcomes in the private school sector aren't working. And the reason they're not working is that Australia, as a nation, is actually falling behind the rest of the world. Now, we've often said this, but the data we use is probably five or six years sometimes in the past that we have to use. But there's some new data, and I think it's quite concerning. In an article by Alexandra Smith, published in the Sydney Morning Herald on August the 5th, just last week or so, the literacy and numeracy skills of Australian students have actually stagnated since the controversial NAPLAN tests were introduced in 2008. With a comprehensive new data revealing that primary school students have made minimal improvements and high school students have slipped, particularly in writing tasks. Now, these data, th- th- these data in primary schools have happened concurrently with a significant increase in funding to the private school sector. So are you getting bang for your buck, I think, might be a question that would be asked by economists, not necessarily just by the dogs. And in fact, education experts have warned that teaching needs to change if the performance of Australian students is to significantly improve. Now, I would say how the funds are allocated needs to change if we're to significantly improve. 
Now, the head of the Australian Curriculum and Assessment Reporting Authority, commonly known as ACARA, Rupert Randall, says this year's NAPLAN results showed that at a national level we are seeing little change in student achievement in these important areas of learning. The data does not show the extent of improvement we would like to see, Mr Randall says. He also says that I'd like to be reporting better results, um, and he says these aren't bad results, but I'd like to see some improvement. I don't want to diminish some of the improvement we've seen, but I would want it to be more widespread and and ongoing. And when you get into the figures, it actually gets quite interesting. Now, the results show that since 2008, reading, grammar and writing skills have improved for year three, and spelling and numeracy have improved for year five. Now, this is in the primary school area, where in the Australian context, um, a, a larger proportion of students actually go to state schools. The number of private primary schools is proportionally smaller than the ratio between private secondary colleges and public secondary colleges. And so it's interesting to note that writing skills in year seven and nine at the secondary level have actually fallen back from what they were, and all the other results have been stable. Mr Randall says that NAPLAN was not itself a means of improving the quality of education, but provided data for objective discussion about what is working and what is not. Now, the improvement in NAPLAN results come about when student learning improves. Literacy and numeracy are the foundations of learning at and beyond school. And if student knowledge, skills and understanding are not improving in these areas, it is actually, he says, a cause for reflection. Now, the University of Melbourne's Patrick Griffith said he was not at all surprised that the NAPLAN results had indeed flatlined. Yes. Professor Griffin, an expert on the assessment in schools, says NAPLAN would be a more useful tool if it helped teachers improve and target their teaching. He says if you want to change student performance, you actually have to change teaching. And he also says unless NAPLAN or any other testing strategy looks at giving teachers advice on how to make the change, then that change actually doesn't happen. Now, parents in New South Wales will start receiving their children's results in August and two weeks earlier um, than what happened last year. Now, they're talking about improving teaching. I think it's actually absolutely fascinating that the largest amount of money, extra money, that's gone into schools in Australia since 2008, extra money has gone into the private school sector. Mm -hmm. This has been proven again and again and again. And in fact, even the private school advocates have to agree that this is the case. So if we're putting more and more extra money into private schools and the results are flatlining and, in fact, going backwards at a secondary level, is this an appropriate strategy? Independent of how you deal with teachers and teaching and kids in the classroom, if you want to allocate resources in an economically effective way, and is giving money to private schools the best thing to do? Now, I know this is kind of deck chairs on the Titanic because here at the Dogs we don't think any money should go to private schools at all. But the NAPLAN data puts a complete lie to what Michelle Green said. And what Michelle Green said was that attacking private schools is a bad thing to do because it is not a zero-sum game. What she says is if you give more money to private schools, that doesn't actually mean that anything bad happens to anyone else. But these NAPLAN results put a complete lie to that. What they are saying is we are now currently giving lots more money to private schools and as a nation, our education system is either A, remaining static, or B, going backwards. So if you are putting these resources into private school systems and you're not getting any improvements, it must be, by definition, do the maths, a zero-sum game. So, Michelle Green, you're actually wrong. Um, What you're saying is actually not correct. Now, if you know it to be not correct, it's a lie, and if you're ignorant of its correctness or otherwise and just saying it because that's what you want to say, then that is rhetorical gobbledygook, and I wish you'd stop saying it because it's just not true. We'll return after the break. Um, Jean's got some more interesting things to talk about when it comes to this whole funding issue, and then I think we'll move on to the issue of Ferris, which is very live across Australia at the moment. That is the organisation Fairness in Religion in Schools. Um, And we'll also actually hear from David Zingia, as I mentioned before, whose position on funding for education I think our listeners will be very interested in. But more after these messages. If you love science, put your money where your mouth is. It's time once again for you to test your brain capacity at the Lost in Science Trivia Night. We don't expect you to perform complex calculus, 
but maybe brush up on your periodic table. Yeah, and support us. Uh, entry is $15 for 3CR subscribers or concession, $20 for everybody else. It's happening at the Birmingham Hotel, corner of Johnson Street and Smith Street. In Fitzroy, Tuesday the 18th of August. Doors will be open at 6.30pm. Check the 3CR website for details or book your tickets beforehand on Eventbrite by searching for Lost in Science Trivia 2015. Lost in Science is a 3CR production. Well, welcome back to the Dogs Program. We've just been listening to Robert uh, countering the arguments of the private school people and pointing out that Australia is in fact in danger of educationally going backward at the same time as we are throwing enormous sums, billions of dollars of our public money at the private schools. Well, they might eventually, these people who are responsible for the expenditure of our money, get up to 1844, or back to 1844, where there was a commission of inquiry a bit like Gonski, into what was actually happening in the education of the children of New South Wales because that's all there was in 1844. And they came to the conclusion that it was inevitable that a denominational system, that is a system where you give money, public money, to private schools or denominational faith schools, will lead to the majority of the children not receiving a proper education while the minority are filled with peculiar tenets. And that actually is the way we're going now. That's what happens when you build up the denominational system or the system of private schools. We're getting ourselves back to 1844. What a pity. What a pity that we can't learn from the mistakes of the past. Or even what a pity that we as a nation cannot follow other nations that have got it right, like Finland and the Scandinavian countries. What a pity. Yes, we pass over to Dar now, who's got some very interesting information, um, which was put out by David Zingier um, from Monash University, actually. He's a very interesting fellow. He's popped up recently. Um, he's been actually actively involved in the Fairness in Religion campaign, um, asking some serious questions about the way um, Jewish religious instruction has been taking place in the east of Melbourne. Um, he has had all sorts of interesting comings and goings, but his ideas aren't just as small as that. He has some very large ideas, and I think they're worth listening to. So, Dale, can you tell us some more? Thanks, Rob. I've got the um, an article here by David Zingier, and it's entitled uh, The Right to Government Subsidised Choice of Schools is Another Wasteful Snout-in-the-Trough Entitlement. Parents who choose a private school for their child have a right to ex- have a right to expect government help with the costs because they are taxpayers. So the argument goes in Australia. Certainly, Chief Executive of Independent Schools Victoria Michelle Green makes such an argument. But where does this so-called right come from? Neither Michelle Green nor anyone else making a similar claim has an adequate answer. We pay our taxes so that our governments can provide public services such as public hospitals, public transport, the armed forces, the ABC and so on. These are services that the private industry cannot or should not provide. Just because someone chooses not to use public transport does not entitle them to claim a public subsidy for their car costs. Emergency medical treatment at Casualty is free at public hospitals, but costs $500 at, at a private hospital. We pay our taxes for public security, provided by the police. If we, wanted, if we want additional private security for any reason, we pay that ourselves and don't expect a subsidy from our government or our neighbours. There is a choice, but choice is only available for those who have the wherewithal to make that choice. We've heard about the end of the age of entitlement. However, when a person on the basic wage of $35,000 a year pays his or her own taxes, 
that person should not expect their taxes to help someone who's on a salary of $150,000 or more a year to exercise school choice. Any notion of choice in this case is bogus. The reason for the strong enrolments in private schools in the growth corridor suburbs in major cities in Australia, mentioned by Green as evidence of people exercising their choice, is due in part to the lack of public infrastructure and planning. At the same time, government funding for capital expenditure by private school systems and independent schools has become incredibly generous, another reason new schools are proliferating. Governments inspired by providing choice will always find it easier and more ideologically satisfying to get private systems to build those extra new schools than go to the trouble of providing the schools themselves. Green mentions so-called low-fee private schools. However, these can be up to 85% publicly funded. As to her claim about the wonderful multicultural makeup of private schools, she does not give us details. Some children who were born overseas or who, whose parents speak languages other than English at home come from very socially or educationally advantaged families. There are clear divisions of such advantage across different ethnic backgrounds. I point out the Gonski Review found that 80% of all disadvantaged children are in the public system. More than 40% of Australian secondary children now attend private schools, either so-called independent or faith-based systemic schools. Australia has one of the most privatised school systems in the OECD since Chile withdrew all public funding to private schools in 2014. Good on them. Prior to the late 1960s, private schools in Australia received little government funding. When such funding was introduced... It was to help bridge the gaps for very poor Catholic schools. The, sen the sentiment was egalitarian, not entitlement. What has grown since then is unique in the world and not in a good way. While most OECD countries have private schools, very few of them receive public funding as it occurs here. Take England, for example, the home of the elite private school and the, the exclusive private schools in the USA – not one cent of taxpayer money goes into their budgets. The purpose of an excellent, appropriately funded public education system is to help ameliorate the inevitable inequalities that result from the lottery of birth. No better mechanism for creating a well-educated general population has so far been discovered. The importance of choice for parents has been promoted at the expense of equity for students. The choice model promoted by federal and state governments has contributed to the decline in enrolments in public schools nationally. Stephen Dinham of University of Melbourne and the president of the Australian College of Educators wrote this. It is hard not to conclude that what we are seeing is a deliberate strategy to dismantle public education partly for ideological and partly for financial reasons. If these developments continue, then the inevitable outcomes will be greater inequity and continuing decline in educational performance that will provide the proponents of change with further evidence to support their position and for even more far-reaching change. Funding for private schools in Victoria, for example, increased by 18.5% per student or eight times that of public schools between 2009 and 2014. The Australian average increase for private schools was $1,181 per student compared to only 247 for public schools. However, the savings to governments for shifting the responsibility of schooling to private institutions and the systems is illusionary. The most comprehensive review of school funding since Gonski by Lindsay Connors and Jim McMorrow argued that state and federal governments would have saved $2 billion annually over the past four decades had they educated private school students in the public school system. 
increased public investment in non-government schools between 1973 and 2012 has increased the overall costs to governments rather than producing overall savings. Recent trends in school re- in school recurrent funding analysed by Bernie Shepherd and Chris Bonner strongly suggest that over 40% of students in Catholic schools in 2016 will average as much, if not more, public funding than students in similar government schools. By 2018, an additional 40% will most likely join them. Half the students in independent schools are on the track to get as much, if not more, than government school students by the end of the decade. This finding emerges as one of the most significant to date from analysis of my school data. School funding in recent years has done little for student achievement and nothing for equity, including the $3 billion overinvestment in better off students without any measurable gain in their achievement. On current trajectories, state and federal governments within four years will be funding the vast majority of private schools at levels higher than students in similar government schools. Concerns about funding equity should now be joined by concerns about effectiveness and efficiency in how we provide and fund schools. Each private school pupil now receives, on average, a non-means-tested public subsidy of over $8,000 per year. And yes, I believe this is indeed at the expense of the less privileged public school student. The focus of our investment in education should should urgently be in public education, not in providing choice for some families. And so much for all the talk about the end of the age of entitlement. Well, David, you've come around to the dog's position. Absolutely. Um, you're listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. Interesting news there, Dale, um, from Monash University of all places. Um, we'll be back with more after these messages from the Defence of Government Schools, the Australian Council of, that's us, the dogs. The Melbourne Street Medics need your help. On Saturday the 18th of July, when we took to the streets against Reclaim Australia, Victoria Police pepper-sprayed the crowd. We treated more than 100 people, and we're asking you to donate to help restock our kits and train up new medics. We believe in empowering people to fight for a better world. Please help us to care for those who stand up for our rights. Please go to ozcrowd.com and search for Melbourne Street Medics, or go to the Melbourne Street Medics Facebook page for more information on how to donate. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And everything we're talking about can be accessed on our website, which is at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Um, I think it's worth pointing out, um, in conclusion to David's interesting article, one of the very fundamental truths of the Australian education system, which actually came out of a recent report on the NAPLAN results, um, and the report and the analysis stated quite clearly the often presumed better results of private schools are a myth. Public schools are the equal of private schools, and I'm sure, Gene, many of our listeners would say better because they're not infected with some sort of strange and twisted morality. Twisted in many different ways, I would suggest, um, making no judgment, definitely twisted from that which is completely inclusive. Because public schools are the equal at least of private schools, public, Catholic and independent schools with a similar socioeconomic composition have very similar results. Now, the sadness of that, of course, is how rich your parents are is one of the great covariance with how well your education is. And any civilised country should view that as a scandal and attempt to change it. Here in Australia, certainly with a Federal Education Minister like Christopher Pine, he's not interested in changing the fundamental inequity of the system. He's just talking about something completely different, which we might analyse in detail at some point in the near future. But moving on to a completely different issue, um, a smaller issue, I think, because sometimes it's worth looking at the detail. Um, Here at the Dogs, we often talk about the big picture and analyse the big picture, but In New South Wales just recently, the group Fairness in Religion in Schools um, have moved up to New South Wales. It was a Victorian organisation. They've had some very significant success in 
significantly regulating the um, delivery of special religious education, or should I say instruction, in Victorian state schools. Um, religious instruction in state schools in Victoria for many, many years has been funded by the taxpayer. I know that sounds strange. It sounds like some weird place, like we're living in a theocracy in some ways. But that's the way it was. Um, the Ferris Group, Fairness and Religion in School, have created a situation where the government has viewed it politically appropriate to stop fund funding, stop, in fact, funding access ministries. And after having some significant success in Victoria, they've moved up to New South Wales, where the problems um, have a very similar quality. Um, now, using a crowdfunding website and support from various parents, they've put enough money together to put up a billboard in Liverpool in Sydney. Now, for our listeners who don't know Sydney very well, Liverpool is one of the heartlands of the religious conservative right. There are a very large number of people living in and around the Liverpool area who are capital C Christians. Um, they are Christians of one denomination or another. I don't know, and personally I don't care. But it's one of those places in Sydney, around Liverpool, and indeed Castle Hill, where uh, Christianity pervades uh, the suburban streets. And the billboard they put up in Liverpool is a very simple one. Um, because Ferris are, I think, a very sophisticated organisation. They do not wish to have special religious instruction in state schools, but they are not anti-religion. They are not interested in closing down churches. They are not interested in attacking people's spiritual values. They are very interested in making sure that if you wish to um, prosecute your religion or if you wish to have your children, um, either what some would say indoctrinated and some would say nurtured, in a faith of one form or another, that is not the business of a state school to help you do that. It is the business of you, the parents, or indeed your religious community if you have one. And the billboard that they've put up in Liverpool is very interesting. Um, I actually think it's masterful what they've done. And just to let you know what it is, they put a billboard up in the middle of this Christian heartland and said, did you sign your child up for this? And the quote is, God says you are stuck in your sin and need to be rescued from his judgment. And this is something, this is one of the, that's a quote from one of the textbooks that's handed out to primary school children in state schools in New South Wales. Now I can see the look on Dale's face going, well, how can they do that? Disgusting. It is indeed. It is indeed, according to Dale, from her perspective, disgusting. But it is in fact, and this is why I think it's so masterful, something that a Christian person would actually stand next to and say, yes, Yes. They'd also put something in addition to it, Robert. They would say um, a, a great deal more about why Christ came and why Christ died. And I'm sure they um, would do that in their special religious instruction classes in the school. But what has happened is that parents are having their children come home from state school saying, Mummy and Daddy, you're going to hell. <laughs> Um, I'm not because I've decided in my special religious instruction class with the help of the teacher to accept Jesus into my life. But you, mummy and daddy, are going to go to hell. And you, mummy and daddy, are stuck in your sin and you need to be rescued from God's judgment. And the parents who are having the children come home and, and, and say this to them are quite disturbed about this. In fact, they think, I sent my child to a state school. Why am I having this conversation? This is a strange conversation. They should only be having that conversation if they'd sent their children to a Sunday school and had actually gone to the Sunday school with the children, uh, not from a state school where, mm. in fact, there might be many, many children in the same class from quite different backgrounds. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. I mean, this, this, this has deep, deep questions involved in it. But this billboard that they've put up in the middle of Liverpool... Um, is not actually specifically offensive. It's not an atheist billboard. It's not some sort of radical secularist billboard or anything. It's just stating that this is what's going on in schools and attempting to inform parents if, if, you, if they knew about this because many parents, not all, of course, Jane, not all, but many parents would feel quite aggrieved that this is what's going on at their state school, at their free, secular and universal school and indeed offensive to none. 
Now, as a result of this, there's been a quite a big brouhaha up in New South Wales. Channel 7 News goes, has got onto it. Sunrise has got onto it. The oh, ABC Dolly, has got onto it. I wouldn't want to hear Mr Jones on it. Oh. Uh, yes, and one of the things is that many of the people who have been fighting very actively the fairness in religious yeah, um, fairness in religion in schools group, very actively fighting them, have gone quiet. Uh, because what they've done, I think, is masterful. Because a Christian person who wants to be able to proselytize and create a situation where a child is feeling guilty, a mm. t- child is feeling shame for not having accepted mm. Jesus into their life, these people um, have gone quiet because they cannot actually disagree. They can qualify, as Jean has done. They can say that's not the only thing that you can be taught. Mm-hmm. And I think Jean is right, and I think they're probably right as well if you come from a, th- um, um, a theologically rich tradition. But the people involved in this process are actually becoming very quiet. In fact, when asked to comment, many of them choose not to. Um, But behind the scenes, things have actually, I'm afraid, got a little bit ugly. In fact, um, the Fairness in Religion in School organisation has actually put a call out, and the call out is if Christians are not all indeed concerned about the billboard, then why why is Ferris receiving abusive phone calls um, with all kinds of explicit and disgusting language thrown in? And the people who are involved in the Ferris campaign would actually like to remind people who are from the Christian community that many of them actually have school-aged children at home and sometimes the school-aged children might indeed be answering the phones. So if you please uh, want to contact them and you don't agree with them, don't use the F word or the scary language because you might be talking to a child. Um, It is, in fact, a bit disturbing that this is the case, but it is a battle. And I think Ferris have finally worked out that even in a very small sense, um, this battle, this battle is something that, well, how can I say it? Uh, the dogs know only too well. It's now got a little bit dirty. But I'm just, sorry. Yes, it is. It is. It is a bit disturbing. But it has actually called, I mean, it's sort of out of everything evil comes something that is good. I'm not sure if that's a Christian perspective or if that's just me watching too much Doctor Who. Because <laughs> Doctor Who said that about the Daleks. That's why he wouldn't destroy them, apparently. <laughs> Out of everything evil, evil comes something that is good because it is actually um, forced, and I think quite rightly, the fairness in religion in school to restate yet again what it is that they're talking about. And I think it's worth pointing out, dear listeners, what's going on with this battle. And it is a battle. Um, The fairness in religion in schools are defending the rights of kids to go to state school and not necessarily have this stuff I won't say ram down their throats, not be exposed to this stuff. I, I don't want to be judgmental about the religiosity or otherwise of individuals. It's just the state school, a state school is not the public square. And often people say, you're, you're offending my rights to be religious. Well, no, you can stand on a park bench and say what you like. But a state school is not a, not, not a public square. I, I it, think it, 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 is, it is a space for children who are going to a free, secular, universal... We have, only one, we have only one institution in our society in which our children can learn to read, write, do arithmetic and think for themselves. It's a very important institution... And that is the school. We expect our schools to do so much. As soon as something goes wrong in the society or somebody gets on their high horse about something that's wrong in the society, we expect the schools to fix it up. And they, we sometimes, well, we're apparently expecting the schools to now fix up the problems that, have, that are uh, uh, there for the, a lot of the Christian churches because they don't have the bums on their seats. Mm. But that's not what a school is for. It's a very important institution. It is the only one where a child can learn to read, write, do arithmetic, learn to think for themselves and do all of the other subjects which are becoming very important for survival in our post-industrialised world. I would actually add to that, Jean, and picking up on your last point, I think it's an important one, to think for yourself. Yes, um, I that would, is the most I would, I, w- I would actually add to that critical thinking skills. Yes, yes. Now, critical thinking skills are, are a thing. I'm sorry. They've been a thing for the while. They've actually have been a thing since the Enlightenment. 
um, the ability to observe. Oh, sorry, since Socrates. Oh, let's indeed. go right back to oh, the Greeks. Oh, let's go right back. It, it, it's part of... It's, it's human nature. It's part of a way of harnessing the innate hum, human curiosity. And if anyone wants to talk about curiosity, go to a primary school. The place is just mm. swimming in the stuff. Mm. But critical thinking is a way of harnessing that curiosity for the benefit of an individual and, in fact, all those people around them. I'm talking big ideas now. We tend to do that on the dogs. Sorry, dear listeners. But critical thinking skills and, in loose terms, theological indoctrination, there are a great many tensions between these two ideas. You talk about religion The and concept of questioning and, bound and, and, and creating a boundary around that in special religious instruction, which is, in fact, what special religious instruction does. It creates things you can talk about. It expresses things in a particular way and not in, a, in an examined way. Um, some would argue that's doctrinaire, and doctrinaire is the opposite of critical thinking skills. Um, and this is something that many parents, I'm sure, feel a bit worried about because critical thinking skills, certainly going into the 21st century, are essential. But the Fairness in Religion in Schools organisation has felt very strongly, seeing as though they've had quite personal and public abuse, um, have to keep restating something very important. And the thing that they're restating is that Ferris is not committed to banning religion. That is not what they're doing. They believe that Australian education should not be open to parachurch ministries because groups, these groups specifically exist to proselytise and Firas believe that the children of Australia, regardless of their nations of origin or their ethnic backgrounds, deserve to be able to have an educated understanding of the role religion plays in our culture, in our history, and indeed in modern world events. Ferris believes that schools should not be mission fields for any particular religion, as this is not the time or place for this. It's a very simple thing. It's, it's a small target. In fact, it's a small idea, but it's a very important one. They're not saying again, as I'll say again, they are not banning religion. In fact, many people who are part of Ferris are religious people. <laughs> they are committed Christians, or they are committed to whatever faith it is that, that they have committed to. It's not a question of banning religion. In fact, it's not a question of taking religion away from the public square. It's just a very simple thing that a state school is neither the time nor the place. Certainly, a state school where they take up specific curriculum time, that is the resources of the school and the time of the school, to do these things. Now, we can talk about this a little more in, 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 um, in next week's episode because we're actually going to have the head of the Fairness and Religion in Schools organisation come in and do an interview with us in the studio. Um, that's Lara Wood, and an interesting character, someone who I think has discovered quite recently what it is the dogs discovered many years ago. If you poke the particular bear of established religion in Australia, they really do fight back, and they don't fight fair. Mm -hmm. And I think she'll give us the ins and outs, because this is something that I think Australia needs to know about. Certainly, dear listeners, I think it's important that 3CR as a community radio station, has the ability to, to actually outline, highlight and examine in detail what's going on in state schools in Australia because no one else really seems to be particularly interested. Um, the, the broader media are all talking about, oh, you're just anti-religious atheists and, oh, is it radical atheists? Oh, I think there's another one. Is it the radical atheists that do chemtrails in the sky to very kill the angels or so, something like that? Whereas Ferris, again and again, very calmly state, no, no, we are not anti-religion. We just wish to take it outside of our, take religion out of our state schools and indeed replace it with a teaching of religion and culture that is relevant mm. in a historical mm. context. That is mm in terms of world events, in terms of what has happened, and in terms of the role that religion plays in Australian culture. Well, if history is the history of ideas, you can't teach history, of course, without dealing with all of the different religious um, beliefs and uh, the religious wars, for that matter. Indeed. We'll be, back after, we'll be back after these messages because we still have some more things to deal with when it comes to defending government schools here at the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast. Politicians and mainstream media are fueling anti-Muslim hate. Attacks on Muslims are increasing and the fear is causing some women to restrict their movements. 
Worse, an anti-Muslim political party is launching in October. It's time for people who oppose bigotry to organise. Stand up and speak out against Islamophobia. Sign the statement at www.voicesagainstbigotry.org and ask others to do the same. Don't be a bystander. Voices Against Bigotry is a 3CR supporter. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm the proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit. Our education is not for profit. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Uh, Well, thanks for that, but um, we're back here with just a few minutes and let's go across to America in the election. Now, I'm not going to talk about Mr. Trump. I'm going to talk about Hillary Clinton, who is readying for a student loan reform rollout. If she's going to get into power, she's going to have to harness the young people. And perhaps Mr Abbott and Mr Pine should be listening to this. After the dust settles from the Republican debate and before she breaks from the campaign trail for her Hamptons vacation, Hillary Clinton on Monday is going to roll out what is expected to be the most detailed and costly plank of her campaign, and that is her policy proposals for student loan reform. This will be the big ticket item, a source with knowledge of her rollout said, noting that in terms of her federal budgetary priorities, her plan for student loans will involve the largest investment. It's hoped that she's going to create a mandate to act on college affordability and generate enthusiasm for her campaign around this galvanising issue for young voters. And the announcement is expected to be made in New Hampshire. So those of our listeners who either have children who are looking forward to going to university or children who are actually at university will be very interested in what Hillary Clinton is going to announce. Because when Mr Pine and Mr Abbott try to get their loan scheme through, they might be falling right out of tandem with America, which they are slavishly following at the moment. Now, um, Clinton's also expected to announce a proposal aimed at easing the financial burden for students who attend historically black colleges, a campaign source said, because what is happening in America, in spite of the Brown decision and other decisions of the Supreme Court, is that there is a very subtle segregation occurring, particularly in I the I wouldn't South. just say subtle, Jean. No. I wouldn't say subtle. Since, since they started playing with voucher systems, it is accelerating. It is, it is, it is visceral to their culture. It is creating great, large and deep cultural and social disturbances. Um, ask anyone in Ferguson. They'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. Well, we certainly don't want it here. They're getting a, a bit like that in the United Kingdom at the moment. So um, Clinton's advisers have discussed uh, creating a Bill of Rights for student loan carriers and risk-sharing for colleges, which means that schools could be penalised when students default or can't repay their loans. So with the student debt crisis now climbing upwards of $1.2 in the United States... College affordability has become a litmus test of the left. 
Clinton's campaign has sought advice from policy experts with strong ties to the Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, and we've talked about this on Dogs Before. She has crusaded on the same issue of refinancing student loans so that students get the same interest rates on federal loans as banks do on theirs. Both of Clinton's democratic challenges have proposed some form of free college. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders has proposed making college tuition fees free, I'm sorry. Bernie Sanders has proposed making college tuition free. Wow. Yes, and providing $70 billion a year, two-thirds from the federal government, with states picking up the rest, to cover public college and university tuition and fees. But that proposal doesn't go far enough for some progressives because it doesn't cover the full cost of attendance. So under Sanders' scenario, students would still be on the hook for necessary expenses like textbooks, room and board and other costs of attendances that aren't built in tuition and fees. So, listeners, while Mr Abbott and Mr Pine are trying to put a loan around the necks of our young people for the rest of their life and then confront them with housing prices which have gone through the roof... Over in America, the Democrats are falling over themselves to get the young people's vote. And I think that perhaps not just the Liberal Party in Australia, but also the Labor Party should be looking at the youth vote because it is their future that they are selling down the drain. But meanwhile, here at the Dogs... We continue to fight for not just the the youth that are going to university, but the young that are in our public school system. It is the most important institution that we have for the future of this country. And it is worth fighting for. We've been fighting for it for 60 years and we'll be fighting for it for another 60 years. God willing. Yes, indeed, Jean. A very heartfelt plea. Um, I personally think that I'd, I'd like the battle to be won in the next 60 years. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we've got about 15 to go. And then, and it then, has to be. Has to be wouldn't it be nice if the dogs were redundant? Wouldn't that be wonderful oh. if we had nothing more to fight for because the Australian nation had woken up saying education the largest number of kids of the highest possible quality standard is in fact the job of a civilised nation to do. But no, that's not what's happening at the moment. You've been listening, dear listeners, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. And indeed, you can contact us at our website, which is www.adogs.info. And until next week, when we'll have some interesting interviews and guests on the program, it's bye for now. Smiling with his eyes 
Jones Says Joe what they can never kill Went on to organize Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find your hill I dreamed I saw your hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe You're ten years dead I never died, says he 